Welcome to Victory Christian Center's audio podcast. We hope this message encourages you, and we look forward to connecting with you on social media or FCCFMD.com. Did you know that victory is a part of our DNA in Christ? Proverbs chapter 2, verse 7 says, He holds victory in store for the upright. So whenever I get up in the morning, I can shake off all of my sleepiness because I am headed toward victory. Amen. How many of you are headed toward victory? Amen. Amen. Paul said, hey, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. At one point, Paul was talking to one of his spiritual sons, Titus, and he said, winter's coming and I have decided to winter at Nicopolis. You say, well, what does that mean? The word Nicopolis in the Greek means city of victory. Literally, it is a place where there was a historic victory, a strategic victory for the Roman army. So they just decided to call it victory. Now, I came to tell you today, if you are going through a struggle, remember there's no victory without a battle, but in all these things, it is the intention of the Lord that we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Amen? Isn't that great? Listen, in Christ, we can't lose. Paul would say in Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? Well, good morning. It's so good to be, be with you. I feel like I'm a part of your family. Um, I have, I know she's got great parents, but I've adopted your um, pastor as my daughter, okay? I have three sons, okay? And no grandchildren yet. They're, they're, they're making me wait, but I've asked the Lord to give me a granddaughter, okay? So in the meantime, I, I'm a little particular toward the ladies and I'm married to the best lady on the planet she is a preaching machine she can preach the wallpaper off the wall she's so good and you are blessed with a wonderful pastor she loves y'all whenever I talk to her she shares about y'all and about this church and she has the heart of this church in mind and I want you to know she is an extremely gifted preacher a very very gifted preacher. And I've been around preachers my whole life. I'm a preacher's kid. Okay? Not only was my dad a preacher, my grandfather was a preacher, my grandmother was a preacher, and my uncle was a preacher. I've heard more sermons than a church pew. You know? <laughs> and so I know good preaching when I hear it. And this morning I had your service on last week on, and I about got happy in the Lord. It was awesome. The book of Philippians chapter number three, talking about our citizenship in heaven. How many of you know that this world is not our home? Amen. There is something that is pulling us. Paul would say, I'm being pulled heaven in Christ Jesus. I have a high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And listen, when you have a high calling, you don't have time for low living. Amen. Amen. Well, I, I, need, to, I need to offer a little bit of a disclaimer. Uh, um, I, I normally am very rambunctious whenever I preach. I'm all over the platform. But for the past four days, I've been helping my mother move. She's moving in with my sister. Now, it used to be 
<laughs> How many of you remember used to be? Okay. As the years went on, something happened. I got older. And every now and then I look in the mirror and say, what happened? And so it used to be I could pick up a house. But now, you know, I can barely pick myself up, you know. And so I've been picking things up and, and I am sore. I am so sore this morning. So if I'm a little reserved, you say reserved, what, what are you when you're not reserved, okay? But if I'm a little reserved or a little less mobile today, just give me a little bit of a break. But you know, sometimes when you're dramatic and you're mobile when you're preaching, it can be dangerous. Now there's a story told about a young evangelist who was preaching about the coming of the Lord. And he would get to the phrase that Jesus said in Revelation, Behold, I come quickly. And every time he said that, he would get to the back of the stage and he'd run all the way forward to the front of the stage. Well, finally, he came to his grand finale. He went to the back of the stage and he said, Behold, I come quickly. And he ran a little too fast. And he flew off the stage into the oldest senior lady in the church's lap in the front row. He was so embarrassed. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. She said, that's okay, young man. You've been warning me all sermon. I should have known you were coming. <laughs> so I might not wind up out there in your lap, but hopefully I'll wind up in your heart. But more importantly, hopefully God's word will wind up in your heart. Now I want to talk today. I want to challenge you. I want to provoke you. You know, one of the reasons we get together is to provoke each other to love and good works. That means to incite or to inspire one another. And so I want to talk about going where we've never been before. Okay? How many of you want to go where you've never been before? You see, when we get a little older, we're not as quick to raise our hand. Wait a second. I've been some of those places, and I don't want to go back to them. Okay? But listen, 1 Corinthians 2.9 says that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what he has prepared for them that love him. How many of you know the Lord loves us today? And so he's got these amazing things up ahead of us that he has prepared for us. And so I want to talk about going where we've never been before so we can experience things from the Lord that we've never experienced before. Hebrews chapter number 11, we're going to talk about a guy named Abraham, okay? Abraham, we know, is the father of faith, or he is a prototype of faith. We learn a lot from his faith journey. If you want to just kind of see how his faith journey plays out, go to the book of Genesis, and uh, you can see how he learned to walk by faith. He did not do it perfectly, okay? But he grew into it. Now I want you to know the scripture says that when you and I come to Christ Jesus, Ephesians chapter number two says we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. That's our position. Now the challenge is to get our practice in line with our position. How many of you know that is a struggle? Okay. And so that is what Abraham did. He grew into what God said he was. And that is the goal of discipleship to become what the Lord says that we are. And so today I want to talk about going there. Let's go there. Amen. 
Hey, next week when you come into service, I want you to look at somebody and say, let's go there. Let's go there. Um, Hebrews chapter 11, verse number eight says, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place, he would later receive. How many of you know there's some stuff that we're going to receive later? One of the biggest struggles in our Christian experience is God's timing versus my timing. God is always on time, but he's seldom on my time, right? And so part of the Christian experience is we are going to wait sometimes. But Isaiah said, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not be weary. Come on. They will walk and not faint. That happens all when we're waiting on the Lord. By faith, when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went. I want you to notice this phrase. Even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city with foundations whose architect and builder was God. Now, a couple of things before I jump into this passage that I want you to understand is that God wants to take us to places that we have never been before. Now, before the circumnavigation of the globe, the um, old world maps had areas that had not been charted called terra incognita in the Latin. And they would illustrate those areas they'd not been before by sea monsters and dragons. In other words, they were saying, you don't want to go there. Now, I want you to know in the Lord, whenever God calls us there somewhere, we do want to go there. And there are places he wants to take us that we've never been before. Now, listen, again, as I mentioned earlier, I'm a preacher's kid. And I've been a pastor now for 40 years. And so there's a lot of things that I have seen. But I wake up every morning with the understanding that the half has not been told and the best is yet to come with the Lord. Amen. So there's places he wants to take us. Victory as a church. There's places that God wants to take you as a church. And we've got to get a vision beyond our particular situation into what God has for us up ahead of where we are. But another thing we need to know is to go where we've never been before, we have to leave the comfort zone of where we are right now. Okay? And Pastor Ashley talked about that last week in Philippians chapter number three, when Paul said, I forget what is behind. Why? So I can reach toward that which is ahead. You see, the problem with some saints is they're so busy holding on to what's behind. They don't have the energy to reach toward that which is ahead. But the, literally the word forget in the Greek means to let go of. How many of you know there's some things we need to let go of? Okay, especially in the area of, of past hurts. Okay, now I have a son 
And his name is Jason. Now, Jason is my youngest son, and he's 30 years old. And he is a brilliant kid, man. He um, is going fi to finish his doctorate in education at the age of 32. Wow. It took me till I was 56 that I could do that. So he's a lot smarter than I am, okay? But when he was little, he wasn't that smart, okay? And I remember when he was little, we had a cat. And that cat's name was Kiki, because that's what Jason called him. Kiki, Kiki, Kiki. And one day Kiki was by him just kind of being cool, just, you know, behaving himself. And, and Jason looks over and sees this tail. And so Jason is fascinated with his tail. And so he reaches out and grabs the tail. Now Kiki, who was a cool, calm cat, turned into a saber-toothed tiger and began to maul Jason. Now my wife and I are standing there and Jason's like, you know, like help me rescue me from this monster. And Kim and I at the same time were saying, let go of the tail. Let, let go of the tail. And there are sometimes when I'm in counseling, when I'm working with somebody, I want to say, let go of the tail because it will bite you as long as you hold on to it and so Paul had some stuff he could have held on to he's writing to the Philippians remember the context of that the first time he went to Philippi he set a woman free from demonic possession and they got thrown in jail for it and beaten up so he could have said Man, I'm going to get on to you and I'm going to unload on you for what you did to me. Okay? But actually, he starts out his book by saying, I thank God every time I think about you. How did that happen? Because he let go of the tail. Amen? And so to leave or to go where we've never been, we've got to be willing to leave where we are. Now, in light of that, I want us to look at some four truths from this passage. You got time for four truths? I'm going to try to operate from the premise that this message doesn't have to be everlasting to be eternal. Okay? All right. So I'm going to get to it. And listen, if you help me, I'll preach faster. Help him, Jesus. Now, the first thing I want you to see is this. To go where you've never been before. You've got to be willing to embrace holy uncertainty. Okay? Holy uncertainty. Okay? You see, living by faith successfully involves a high degree of natural uncertainty. Okay? 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, we walk by faith and not by sight. You see, think about faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 1 says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things what? Not yet seen. So in order to have faith, we've got to have something we're hoping for, but we haven't seen yet. So there's some uncertainty out there. Now, when called by God, the scripture says, the passage that we read says that Abraham obeyed and went even though he didn't know where he was going. Okay? You see, embracing holy uncertainty is no easy thing, especially for those that need all their ducks in a row. Now, how many of you are more of an organized person? 
Okay, you, you keep lists. Any of y'all keep lists? Okay, you keep lists or you PowerPoint or you do this. You got to have all this stuff. Well, I'm married to the ultimate list maker. And I've been married to her for 40 years and yet she doesn't get it that she's the list maker and I'm the list loser. Okay. <laughs> so she'll say, well, did you do that? And I, I say, no, I forgot. She said, where's the list? I said, I, I don't know. <laughs> okay. So there are some that need to know where all their ducks are on the pond. And there are some that don't even know where the pond is, where the ducks are. Okay. And so if you're the kind of person that needs structure and need to have everything charted out, the life of faith is going to be a bit of a challenge. Okay. Now think about the dichotomous nature of God. God is the universe's all time greatest planner. Okay. Matthew chapter five, verse 18, Jesus says, not a jot or tittle or smallest detail of his law or plan will go unfulfilled. Okay. Matthew chapter 10, verse 29 through 30 says, he knows when even a sparrow falls and how many hairs are on our head today. Okay. And what color they are. Because you know what happens as you get older uh, to us guys, hair either turns gray or it turns loose one, okay? And so he knows all of that stuff yet. So he's this amazing planner. He's got everything all worked out. Yet he is infinitely creative in the way in which he carries out the details of his plan, okay? He's predictably unpredictable. He almost never does things the way that I would. He always has surprises up his sovereign sleeve. Okay, so how then do I embrace holy uncertainty? And I found there are two ways that we do that. Okay, now for those of you that don't know, I give a lot of points. Okay, actually my associates, two of them, they, they count and they kind of make fun of me at different times. Well, the PT had about 34 points in his message today. You know, no wonder it was so long. Okay, but let me just give it its way I have to think. Okay, so how do we embrace holy uncertainty? And the first thing we've got to do when it relates to God is expect the unexpected. Okay, because He seldom does things the way that we would. He rains bread from heaven, He gives water through desert rocks. He fed 5,000 with a boy's bag lunch of five loaves and two fishes. He paid taxes with a coin found in a fish's mouth. And he birthed promised children through barren wombs. And so he very seldom does things the way we would. And so the way we embrace holy uncertainty is to kind of anticipate it and expect the unexpected. Now, the second one, you can say amen or you can say, oh, me too, but it is true. The second way we do this is to give up our need for control. Okay? To give up our need for control. You see, many don't venture very far into God's glorious unknown because they need to control and manage their environment. But the reality is, when you're following God into his glorious unknown, there are times, probably many times, you will feel out of control. 
right? But the thing that I love is nothing is ever out of control that is in his control, right? And so I found times in my life where I did not know what to do, where I couldn't manage the situation. A couple of years ago, when I faced the surgeon and the surgeon said to myself, my wife and my sons, if he doesn't have surgery within 30 minutes, he's going to die. And you probably need to say what you need to say to him right now because he probably won't make it off the operating table. Now, I was not, I had no control over that circumstance and that situation. You know, I'm not that kind of a doctor. I didn't know what to do. But I remember as, as they pushed me away from my wife and my family, I began to be gripped with fear because things appeared to be out of control. And I remember just before I was taken into the operating room, the voice of the Lord speaking to me saying, I'm still here. I'm still here. And so I said right out loud, I will trust you then. You see, we need to trust the Lord and we need to trust his heart when we can't necessarily see his hand when we're in circumstances we think are out of control. You know, I found one of the most known but hardest to practice scriptures is Proverbs chapter three, verse five and six. And, and you, you probably know it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That sounds awesome, doesn't it? We can do that. But then it says, and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Why is this so difficult to practice? Because it requires us to give up control and lean not on our own understanding. Okay, you still with me? Amen. Now the second thing that we've got to do to go where we've never been before is to reassess our assessment of God. Okay? Now the great faith questions are not what, when, and why, but who and how. Okay, first of all, who are you going to look to as the source of your supply? Who are you going to look to? And how big do you really believe that he is? Now the scripture reveals Abraham's source when it says he was looking for a city with foundations whose architect and builder was God. What was he looking for? He was looking for something that only God could do. Amen. You see, Mark Patterson in his book, Wild Goose Chase says this, faith is not logical, but it's not illogical. Faith is theological. It does not ignore negative circumstance. Rather, it factors God and his resources into every equation that we face. Now, I have found that the nature of my source is determined by who I look to when I have a need that is bigger than myself or my ability. And the nature of my source would determine the nature of my resource or my supply will only be as big as my supplier. Okay? And this is why it's so important 
to settle our source and to assess the question, how big do I really think that God is? Now, when Israel was facing an impossible situation in Numbers chapter 11, verse number 23, God asked the question, is there any limit to my power? Okay, and I ask you this, when you're facing a situation that's bigger than you, but your faith and your trust in the Lord, is there any limit to his power? When Mary was told about how she was going to give birth to Jesus, she said, how can this be? This doesn't compute. How can this work out? And the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of Most High shall overshadow you. So what is born of you will be of God. He says, for with God, what? Nothing shall be impossible. Amen. How many of you know there's still nothing impossible with God? Now, why is this so important? It's so important because life and the challenges of living in this fallen world make us downsize our view of God. And I've seen this during this pandemic time. We were talking about it before service. People who are people of faith, there are some that have really battled deeply with fear. How many of you know people during this time that have really struggled and battled with fear? But the reality is, you know, Paul told Timothy, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. The most often given command in Scripture is fear not. And it's usually combined with the most often given promise, fear not. Why? For I am with you. Amen. But we tend to, when circumstances come, downsize our view of God. That's what happened to the disciples in Mark chapter number four, where Jesus had them get in the boat and Jesus went to sleep. And they sailed right into the middle of a boat sinking storm. You see, the reality is you can follow the Lord and still find yourself in the middle of a storm. You can be in the center of God's will and in the center of a storm at the same time. And so the disciples go and wake Jesus up and they say, Lord, don't you even care that we're perishing. What happened? Their view of him was downsized. And they began to measure the sovereignty of God by the severity of their circumstance. But I'm glad that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You see, it doesn't, it's my circumstance doesn't change him. But they questioned that. Why? Because their view was downsized in the storm. But a proper view of God is the bedrock for healthy faith. And so Jesus taught them a faith lesson. He got up and he did two rebukes. First of all, he rebuked the storm. He said, peace, be still. And he was still, but then he turned and he rebuked his disciples. And he said, how is it that you were so afraid? Where was your faith? Amen. You see, our storms are as much an opportunity to believe God and exercise our faith 
than they are to exercise our doubt. It is our choice. And much of it has to do, in fact, there's a lot of it has to do with how we assess how big God really is. When God asked the Israelites that in Numbers chapter number 11, did you know that the word numbers there is the Hebrew word arithmoi, which is where we get the word arithmetic. You see, God's arithmetic and our arithmetic is really different. All throughout scripture, God's people were outnumbered and out-resourced, okay? But they had God on their side. Amen. And so it doesn't matter how little we may look like we have, when God is our source, there will always be more than enough. Amen. 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 How big do you really believe God is? Now, this affects our prayer life. And I've seen many people who have downsized their prayers because their circumstance got bigger and bigger. Have you ever prayed about something and it seemed like that it got worse? Have you? I have, you know? And, and I remember about eight years ago, I was really struggling deep in my heart over a particular issue and, and it was keeping me up at night and I, I went through a dark night of my soul, I was just struggling. And the Lord spoke to me and he spoke a word of promise to me related to one of my sons, you know. And, and, and it was like bread to my heart, my soul. You know, it was like the Lord resuscitated me at that moment. And of course, my next question, he spoke, you know, he spoke that to me, I'm gonna do this. And my next question was when, <laughs> you know, when? And he said, I'm not gonna tell you, you're gonna have to trust me. Okay, remember what it said, God called him to, to a place that he would later receive as his inheritance. And so for eight years, there have been some times where it seems like that promise I got farther and farther away from and it was least likely to occur. But God is not man that he would lie nor the son of man that he would change his mind. Literally, he told Jeremiah, he will watch over his word and he will, bam, hasten to perform it like that. Because all God needs is a moment to change everything. Amen. You may be in a situation that's gone on for a long time. Maybe you prayed and prayed and prayed and your faith is struggling when you pray. Don't downsize your prayers, okay? Because God is still on the throne. And if he gave you a promise, you can believe it in your life. Maybe it's been a while, but you're closer than you've ever been before. Amen. To the answer. Amen. You still with me? How big is God? He is bigger than our financial problems. He is bigger than our family struggles. He is bigger than a positive um, MRI or biopsy. He's bigger than a secret struggle or an unrealized dream. He is bigger than a pandemic. He is bigger than any plans of the enemy, no matter how dangerous they are. First John chapter four, verse four, he said, or John said, you are of God, dear children. Now I would in my Bible circle that because that changes everything. That changes the, the outcome of the equation. We still face problems, but we face problems as people that are of God, who are children 
of God. He said, you are of God, dear children, and you have overcome because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen. Amen. How big is our God? He's bigger than any problem we may face. Amen. Amen. You still with me? Amen. Number three, to go where we've never been before, we must allow God to broaden our borders. Broaden our borders. See, many believers have allowed their struggles and difficulties of life to downsize their dreams and shrink their borders. Now, the word borders in the Hebrew is the word gabul, and it means extreme boundaries. It means the farthest reaches or limits of one's territory or where we dare to go in the Lord. Now, God's intention for Abraham was, I will give you every place that your foot will tread. And he said that same promise to Moses. He said it again to Joshua until the time when the children of Israel began to advance into the promised land. And God kept his promise. He gave them every place they dared to go. Unfortunately, there were some places they didn't dare to go. And so I came today to do this, to double dog and triple dog dare you to go places you've never been before. Amen. Amen. I think about it in 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verse 9 and 10, about a guy who broke the mold. You see, in 1 Chronicles chapter 4, it is a series of genealogies. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't get a lot of spiritual spizzerinkdom when I'm reading genealogies of guys whose names I can't hardly pronounce. <laughs> you know? And basically it says they were born, they beget, they died. Born, beget, died. Born, beget, died. But they're just going through the motions, going through the motions. But then there is this guy and his name was Jabez. Now, Jabez didn't have a great start because his mom named him Jabez. And that means you caused me pain when you came away. <laughs> you know, where do you go from there? <laughs> when your mom doesn't even, you're a pain, you know? Well, I, I say you can go two ways. You can say, I can't get there from here or from here. I can go anywhere, you know? And so he begins to pray a big prayer. And he says, oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my borders. Let your hand be on me and keep me from harm so that I will cause no pain. And God granted him his request. Well, part of that prayer, he says, that you would enlarge my borders. The word enlarge, rabba, in the Hebrew means to multiply by a myriad or tens of thousands to become exponentially and unquantifiably greater than I was before. What was he doing? He was letting God set his borders. You see, and I tell young people this all, all the time, and I was a youth pastor many, many years ago, you know, the greatest plan that they can ever get is not their plan, but God's plan for their life. Because it far exceeds anything that they could ever come up with themselves. Amen. Amen. 
Allow God. And I want you, I, I really am, I'm, I feel prophetic about this. Victory, allow God to enlarge your borders. Okay? He is able. Amen. He is not diminished at all. There's still nothing impossible with him. He does his best work on the platform of our impossibility. Our impossibility is his opportunity. Amen. So let him enlarge your borders. And finally, don't you love when the pastor says that? And finally, and my folks know in our church, I'll say, what does that mean? They say, nothing. <laughs> but really, I'm running out of gas. I'm going to land the plane. <clears throat> now, now, this is a challenge, okay? Be willing. We're going to go where we've never gone before. We must be willing to look foolish at first. Okay? I didn't get any amens there. Come on, somebody help me. We've got to be willing to look foolish at first. Think about Abraham's example. Somebody asked him, hey, Abe, where are you going? I'm following God. Where is he? Oh, he's invisible. Where is he taking you? To the promised land. Where is it? He didn't say, but he said it's going to be awesome. <laughs> you know, well, he probably looked foolish at first. And it says he obeyed and went even though he didn't know where he was going. Okay? And, and the idea back then of following an unseen God to an unknown place was crazy. Okay? And so oftentimes when he calls us to do something because, you see, I, and, and I talked about this last time I was here, oftentimes that God requires us to do something physically that releases something spiritually, okay? Like when you all begin to work in this church and you begin to add to it, what were you doing? You were in faith creating space for God to bring more people, and I believe that he will, amen? I believe that he will. And so, you know, sometimes when God tells us to do something, it will look foolish at first. Well, what is he looking for? He's looking for our obedience. And so it says that Abraham obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. Think about it. Noah looked foolish building a giant boat in the middle of the desert. The Israelite army looked foolish walking around the walls of Jericho for seven days blowing a horn. A shepherd boy looked foolish charging a giant with only a slingshot. Wise men looked foolish tracking a star to find a baby born in a barn. Peter looked foolish getting out of a boat to walk on water in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. But the results stand for themselves. Noah saved mankind from extinction. The walls of mighty Jericho fell down. David killed a giant and inspired a fearful army. The wise men discovered their long-awaited Messiah. And Peter walked on water. Because you can't walk on water unless you get out of the boat. Amen. And so we've got to be willing to take risks. We've got to be willing to do things that maybe others that are simply camped out in their brain trying to rationalize would think is foolish. But remember, 
Faith is not logical or illogical. It's theological. It factors God into every equation of our circumstance in our life. Amen. And with him, there's always more than enough. Amen. So to go where we've never been before, we must be willing to embrace holy uncertainty, expecting the unexpected, and giving up our need for control. We must reassess our assessment of God. Is he our source? And do we really believe there's nothing impossible with him? We must let him set the borders of our life, okay? You know, I've seen many, many people counsel with many, many men and women vote that at a young period of time in their life, somebody spoke something negative over their life. You'll never be this, or you'll always be that, or you're just like them, or you this, that, and the other. And it created a ceiling over their life, but it was not God's ceiling over their life. And perhaps maybe somebody has spoken something over your life or something happened to you. I came to tell you that God allows do-overs, okay? And this morning we woke up to brand new mercy. Amen. Brand new mercy. So we can get up and try it again. Let him broaden our borders. And finally, we must be willing to look foolish at first. But that's part of walking by faith and not by sight. And of course, we know the rest of the story of Abraham. And we read about him thousands of years after he lived as an example. Not perfect, but an example. Yeah. If you're waiting for perfection, you're going to be waiting a long time. You know, look at all the people that Jesus chose. All of the guys that Jesus chose to be his disciples were really the ones that the other rabbis didn't want. And you know, I'm glad I'm a don't wanter to the world and wanted by God. And I am accepted in the beloved of Amen. I want you Thank you for listening to Victor Christian Center's audio podcast. We look forward to connecting with you on our social media or at FCCFMD.com.